This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon. Welcome to Health and Living with me, T. Xiao Ik. Today is the second part of our mini-series on embracing menopause. Now, we often associate menopause with issues like hot flushes, night sweats, mood swings. Uh, those are perhaps some of the most commonly known complaints. But there's another facet to menopause that, that um, perhaps you may not hear being discussed so much unless you do seek um, healthcare professionals' uh, advice. And that that's osteoporosis and its risk related to menopause. So today I'm speaking to consultant obstetrician and gynecologist Dr. Pramita de Modaran again and joining her as well, consultant rheumatologist Dr. Yap Swan Sim to find out how menopause increases the risk of osteoporosis and what can be done to better protect your bones following this period of menopause. So if you do have questions for our experts today, you can call us at 037732 you can also WhatsApp 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. Good afternoon, Dr. Pramita and Dr. Yap. How are the both of you today? Very good, thank you. Yes, good afternoon. Very good. Feeling good. Okay, um, Dr. Yap, this is a bit of a personal question from me. I was actually curious how a rheumatologist is involved when it comes to caring for bone health. Um, if you could indulge me by starting with that and uh, you know how you uh, are involved in the care of um, patients with osteoporosis. Yes, hello. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. So uh, rheumatology actually deals with uh, patients and their joints. So joints actually have bone. Uh, and one of the symptoms for a lot of patients with joint uh, problems is pain. So uh, in that sense, we deal a lot with bone pain. Now, some patients with osteoporosis also will have pain. And they may have pain in bones. And therefore, they come and see a rheumatologist. However, uh, osteoporosis actually can present to a wide variety of doctors. So it's not just... A rheumatologist, and we would like to think that uh, any doctor that sees any ladies or gentlemen, uh, especially uh, in their senior ages, uh, can be alert and diagnose or you know try and pick up patients with osteoporosis. Perhaps you could give us a brief primer as well about what exactly is osteoporosis and why do we talk about its risk increasing in older age? Yes. Uh, so osteoporosis actually means uh, thin bone. So porosis is porous. So porous means thin and osteo means bone. So it's actually thin bone. Now, when the bones get thinner, uh, it's obviously going to be less strong. And as they become thinner and less strong, the end result would be that they will fracture and break. Uh, so the osteoporosis, the bone thinning, uh, leads to the end point, which is a fracture. So what happens is that when you obviously, uh, when you're younger, uh, as you grow, your bones will also grow with you. You reach uh, what we call peak bone mass around the age of 30 to 35. And then after that, what happens is that everyone will lose a little bit of bone, a little bit of bone as they age. Uh, because the renewal process is not so efficient. So when you, re uh, when you renew your bone, you don't renew to the uh, previous level. So you all, everyone loses a little bit of bone. Um, for gentlemen, they just continue to lose bone, age-related bone loss until they get older. For ladies, I think Dr. Permitter will uh, jump in here and explain. When they undergo the menopause, they actually lose a lot more bone 
um, at a higher level uh, during that period of the menopause. Dr. P, you want to jump in here? What, what yes. exactly does, do hormones have to do with the bones? Oh, hormones have got to do a lot with the whole body. <laughs> now, um, as Dr. Yap uh, mentioned just now, the bone is actually a very living, active organ. So it's continuously trying to rejuvenate itself. So it's got all these bone-forming cells, bone-losing cells, but always in the positive direction as we are getting older. And then after 35, unfortunately, the bad news is everything sort of reverses. Um, you know, we tend to lose a little bit of bone, but, you know, it's not so bad. You know, you might lose about 1% every 10 years. Okay, la, I can lose that much. It's fine. But, you know, when the menopause sort of, or the perimenopause kicks in and our estrogen levels actually start slowing down, this estrogen is paramount for that balancing of that bone-forming, bone-losing cells. So then you have the bone loss, which is more. And it can be actually a very, what we call accelerated bone loss, especially in that late perimenopause, early menopause time. And women can lose up to about 30%, 50% of their bone at that particular time. And we actually look at the hip and the spine and they can lose about 1% to 2% of bone at these areas per year. Now, what happens is then that you get weaker bones and this can then translate to the fact that that woman can fracture later in their lives. So, you know, so they're already losing a lot of bone at that time. And as they go along the way, they can be subject to a higher risk of fractures. And we know that very clearly. Women, you know, are, are subject to more fractures than men. Um, you know, up to about two to three times more common hip fractures are found in women. We have that stats all around the world and even in Malaysia. So here are women as they get older, they are, you know, they're doing everything right. But it's not something that you can physically feel because, you know, you don't get that much of pain with osteoporosis. And unless you go in for a check, that's when you know. So women can, you know, in, in, in the later stages of, the, of osteoporosis can cough and can have a fracture at the spine. Or they can From have a, a very... cough? Yep, correct. Or they have a gentle fall and then they have a wrist fracture. But what we don't want is, of course, the hip fracture and then the whole lots of other problems that come in. Mm. So if we're talking about perimenopause, it's starting uh, even in the perimenopause stage, what ages are we looking at then? So if you look at the fact that menopause in this country is around 50 to 51, and you'd say plus, you know, about five to seven years before that. So we can actually talk about, let's say, 45 onwards. Yeah. But then again, some women menopause a bit earlier. So I think it's something that we should be aware of, that bone loss does happen. Some women are more prone to it. Some women are less prone to it. But it's something that we have to keep at the back of our minds and look after ourselves. So, you know, I'm 42 this year. So perimenopause is, is, is right behind me. It's, it's, it's looking over my shoulder. So what then should I be doing right now? Can I, well, I've passed that 30 to 35 sort of like magic window that Dr. Yap mentioned, right? Um, but what can younger well, women who are even younger look at doing? Can they build up their stores, Dr. Yap? 
Yes. So the as I mentioned before, we actually reach what we call peak bone mass around the age of 30 to 35. So actually, people before that, those are the people that should be trying to maximize their bone gain. Because if you have a higher peak bone mass, obviously, when you lose bone, you don't really lose that much to get to the osteoporotic range. So the higher your peak bone mass, obviously, the better you have, more bone you have, you can afford to lose a little bit more, then you don't get into the osteoporotic range. So the important people to really get hold of to try and improve bone health and let you know make them aware of it is actually the teenagers. Uh, because that's when they maximize and really grow, you know, the growth spurt. So the teenagers shouldn't be drinking soft drinks. They should be drinking milk. They should be taking more calcium. They should be uh, out in the sun exercising and doing all those healthy things so that they improve their peak bone mass. What does exercise have to do with building bone mass? Ah, So exercise, when people exercise, and we're talking uh, what we call weight-bearing exercise, which means walking, uh, running, jogging, things that uh, you actually uh, you're on your feet. Um, exercise actually stimulates the bone cells to be more active and they tend to stimulate the bone building cells. Um, so weight bearing exercise is actually important in trying to uh, increase bone mass when you're younger. And as you age and maybe for people in the perimenopausal uh, or menopausal stages, exercise is helpful in trying to maintain that bone mass. So exercise does two things. It maintains your bone mass. And as you get older, and if you do exercise, your muscles are stronger. So you also prevent falls. So if you don't fall, you hopefully don't fracture. Mm-hmm. Multifaceted, isn't it? Mm, but yes. how, Dr. Premita, I'm 42. Is it too late for me to do any of these? <laughs> so, what, I, what I worry for you is your physical appearance because you're small. Okay, so the lower BMI I would worry about, I'm sure Dr. Yap would agree with me, the lower the BMI, unfortunately, your risk of uh, you know, osteoporosis and fractures are higher. Why is that? Yeah, that I leave to Dr. Yap to answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh, the, uh, some, some, some of this is just a physical thing. So, there are several risk factors for uh, osteoporosis, especially at a young age. So if you are smaller, you tend to just have smaller bones. Uh, so that is unfortunately a physical thing. And if you have smaller bones, they will break more easily compared to someone who has bigger and thicker bones. So in that sense also, that's one of the reasons why women tend to have more fractures or more osteoporosis than men. Because men tend to have their larger size, so they have larger bones and their bones are thicker. Uh, so one is just a physical thing. There are other risk factors for osteoporosis that maybe people can look at, especially when they're younger as well. Uh, Some people may have a family history of osteoporosis. So there's a genetic link to osteoporosis. So if your mother uh, or your auntie, a first degree relative, had uh, osteoporotic fracture, especially osteoporotic hip fracture, uh, when they're older, then you may be at risk. So uh, for the younger person, when they reach the perimenopause or menopause time, they perhaps need to go and see a doctor and get their bones checked out. Um, other things that cause osteoporosis when you're younger may be that uh, you're on certain medications. So one of the medications that cause it would be steroids or uh, prednisolone. So people take steroids for lots of reasons, arthritis, uh, asthma. Uh, so those patients also may be at risk and they would be people that would need to get their bones actively, uh, proactively checked out, especially when they reach the perimenopause. 
So is that something that should be part of a routine uh, checkup or screening uh, that women do? Because we already talk about, say, women uh, from the age of 40 or 45 going for regular mammograms, for instance, right? Uh, women at any age going for regular pap smears. Um, should bone screening or bone density screening be something we do as well? Dr. Yap or Dr. Premita? Uh, Dr. Premita? Well... To be very honest, as I mentioned just now, the bone loss starts at late perimenopause. So if you're going to do something that's earlier, you may not pick up anything very much. So, you know, unless, of course, that lady is of very high risk due to other problems, which um, Dr. Yap said. But again, I would wait for menopause to come in and see what actually happens. Um, so we generally do not routinely screen unless one is you know, if one is healthy everything looks good we usually start screening at about 65 but if there are risk factors like family history uh, of a first degree relative or um, she's very small stature or she's you know um, on on a steroid long-term steroid use and anything else that tells us that you know, something may not be quite right. Yes, then we do screen early. Because the idea is, you know, screening, yes, but we want to pick it up at the right time and then go from there. We do not want it to be too early, neither do we want it to be too late. All right. So let's go for a quick break. And when we come back, we look at um, if we've uh, started doing screening at the right window, we pick up something. What happens after that? What can women do? Um, if you have questions, do call us at 0377332900 or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. We do have a question from Bill that I will get to after the break. See, Dr. Premita, it's the men again. <laughs> yes, always, but good. But I'm glad they're asking anyway. Yes, uh, we'd also like to hear from some women. Uh, you <laughs> do have questions about uh, menopause-related issues or perhaps you'd like to share your own experiences as well. Uh, I'm speaking to consultant obstetrician and gynecologist Dr. Premita Demodran and consultant rheumatologist Dr. Yap Swan Sim about menopause and bone health and reducing the risk uh, as, as well as how to manage uh, osteoporosis. We'll be right back on BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Shaoik, and my guests, consultant obstetrician and gynecologist, Dr. Premita Demodern, and consultant rheumatologist, Dr. Yap Swan Sim. We're talking about menopause and bone health today. If you have questions related to your menopause issues, you're concerned about osteoporosis, perhaps, call us at 0377332900 or WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899. Our question from Bill on WhatsApp uh, relates to what we were discussing earlier about that. What can we do in the earlier years uh, to build up peak bone mass? Um, so Bill is asking, can vitamin K2 and I presume supplementation help by reducing bone loss? Dr. Yap, perhaps? Uh, vitamin K2 is um, can be useful. Uh, but it's not one of the major uh, vitamins uh, related to bone. So uh, we would still emphasize on adequate calcium and adequate vitamin D uh, intake. Mm -hmm. And um, do you recommend supplementation of calcium and vitamin D or are we talking about getting it from food consumption? For calcium, uh, we would try and recommend that people take it from food, if possible. I know some people can't drink milk, uh, you know, they're, they're lactose intolerant, etc. 
But if you can, the food calcium is very well absorbed and you don't have uh, any um, risk of uh, problems take it, like with supplements because some people worry about constipation with calcium supplements and some people worry about kidney stones with calcium supplements. So if you take calcium in food, um, you don't have that problem. And it's widely available in food. Vitamin D, unfortunately, is not so widely available in food. Uh, we get most of our vitamin D actually from the sun. So we need to stand out in the sun for five to 10 minutes. <laughs> the 12 o'clock sun? Uh, well, hopefully not. But uh, <laughs> uh, we do say you still can do it uh, before 10 o'clock and after four o'clock. But still, you do need to be exposed to the sun, which unfortunately most Malaysians are not exposed yeah. to the sun. So for vitamin D, uh, it's useful to take a supplement because you would need a supplement to most of the time to get you up to where you should be taking. All yes. right. Mm. So shall we, I think it's basically for the youngsters, you know, trying to get them out of the chairs and beds. And I think COVID did not help in any way um, because you really need to get them out there um, exercising and you know, being exposed to the sun because that's really very, very important. So now let's take a typical teenager these days who does not drink milk um, and, uh, you know, and uh, does not, you know, is probably in front of the computer. So that's what we are going to be facing. These are the teenagers that we're going to be facing with problems later on in their lives because they're not going to build up their peak bone mass. So I think changing that whole lifestyle, um, you know, aspects in the early days um, and, uh, you know, looking at uh, let, let, yeah, just what Dr. Yap said, you know, calcium, always very important from the food. If you can't, then you add on whatever, you know, is necessary from calcium tablets. Unfortunately, the darker we are, the vitamin D from the sun does not get absorbed into our body. So the melanin is going to block it. So the darker individuals will need vitamin D more than the fairer individuals. So we also need to think about that. And vitamin D has actually become a very, very important thing. Um, became more important with COVID actually with immunity, but now even for pregnancy, mental health issues, a lot of things, vitamin D is actually, uh, you know, forefront in all these areas. Mm, but should they see somebody like you, Dr. Pramita, first before uh, going on supplements? Well, even a GP can do this because you just have to do a blood test and the vitamin D levels are there. It's very common to do it now there. And the GP can, you know, you're, they're com if they're comfortable with their own family physician or the general practitioner, they can actually advise them on, uh, on their vitamin D. Um, still on vitamin D because uh, Kiara uh, also messaged in as well as um, another listener who uh, is asking about uh, dosage for calcium and vitamin D intake per day. So if I'm looking at the menopausal women, then I'm looking at about 1,000 to 1,200 milligrams. For, but again, that, that's for vitamin D. For no calcium. I'm talking about calcium. Mm -hmm. But that's again, if possible, mainly from food. Okay, and if you can't, you know, fulfill that amount from food, then you're going to then take whatever you need from supplements. Vitamin D, again, I mean, what's advice is about 800 IU to 1000. But again, check the vitamin D levels and then optimize it. Because if it's like me and I don't like going out in the sun, then my vitamin D level was extremely low that I had to take more than that. Yeah. All right. Um, 
One more question before we uh, kind of go back to the treatment of osteoporosis. Um, listener who is 49 now, menopause at the age of 45, um, did bone density test uh, a couple of times even before the age of 45 and showed that she has osteoporosis. Um, so how often should she uh, continue to do these bone density tests? I'm, I'm a little bit, I think I, I, that's a bit a bit surprising that even before 45, she's got osteoporosis. And even more surprising if she hasn't gone to see someone and got treated. So uh, that seems a little bit odd because uh, I think that one, we need to sit down with her and actually look at it. Um, because if she is less than 45 and there was actually osteoporosis, I'm sure her doctor would have already started her on something. All right. So, so it's not more of monitoring, it's more of then treatment. But again, I'm a little bit surprised, so we would have to check that out properly. All right. So um, speaking of treatment then, uh, let's say that the bone density test does show signs of osteoporosis already for a woman who's in menopause. Um, what are we looking at uh, in terms of trying to manage and treat it? I think the whole idea of lifestyle changes. So, you know, I think um, exercise, like what was said just now, weight-bearing exercises, adequate calcium, adequate vitamin D, and then looking at her results and then seeing what's actually going on. So we have a normal bone mineral density result. We can have what we call an osteopenia, which is that borderline area. Then we have osteoporosis. So when we do a bone mineral density, which is actually the gold standard for checking out for osteoporosis, we need to look at the numbers to see what's actually going on and then see, you know, what do we do at that point? So we can have a range. So many times with osteopenia and depending on whether she is like early borderline, then we can say calcium, vitamin D, you know, exercise, come back again in about two years, let's check you out. Um, but interestingly, and I'm going to leave the rest to Dr. Yap, but women who in the menopause and say that they are going through the early menopause um, and they do go on menopausal hormone therapy for other reasons. Let's say they're having all the vasomotor symptoms, the hot flushes, the mood swings, and they do go on hormone therapy. That hormone therapy actually does their bones a lot of good because menopausal hormone therapy is the only proven treatment for prevention and treatment of postmenopausal osteoporosis. You can actually prevent bone loss with menopausal hormone therapy. And you can, of course, also treat it. So women who do go on hormones at the time of menopause, not only are they actually treating all the other symptoms, but they are also treating bone loss problems and of course preventing further fractures along the way so that actually helps them tremendously all right and dr Yap, before um, we get to you and the other treatment options still a little bit more on uh, menopausal hormone therapy dr premita i know we did a whole show on it last week and that podcast is available for listeners um you know if you just search menopausal hormone therapy but perhaps again a refresher because we have a listener who who wants to know uh, the risks right of being on hormone therapy and then would you um, suggest that women go on hormone therapy when they enter menopause so that they can uh, immediately already stave off that risk of bone loss? 
Well, we don't give menopausal hormone therapy for everyone. We only give it to women who actually need it. So women who whose symptoms during the menopause are actually quite bad and you know they can't cope with normal daily activities, then these are the women that are ideal for menopausal hormone therapy because many would just breeze through it without any problems. So women who cannot cope with their symptoms they go on menopausal hormone therapy and menopausal hormone therapy is best given during the perimenopause and early menopause. And we are very clear now about how we give hormone therapy and it should be for a woman who is less than 60 years of age and who are, they are within that 10 years of their last period. So with, when we give it to this group of women, their risks are very, very minimal. And in fact, the advantages way, you know, are, are so um, definitely are, are way better than, uh, you know, all the little, little side effects that can come in. All right. Um, a listener is asking, can hormone therapy delay menopause? No, unfortunately, menopause is going to come whether you like it or not. But many women would go on hormone therapy before their last period because of their symptoms and they would actually never know when that exact point of menopause was you know so they would in many ways they feel better because they don't know when the last period was but actually menopause is that one point that you know will happen to anyone you can't delay it mm, otherwise you'd be rich right dr Pramita? <laughs> definitely dr Yao, you want to expand more on the, that conversation about treating osteoporosis Yes, certainly. There are lots of other, I mean, there are other treatments for osteoporosis. And let's say that the woman is now more than 60 years old. So uh, the hormone therapy is not really an option anymore. And they are definitely osteoporotic or they've had an osteoporotic fracture. So once you have what we call established osteoporosis, so it's definite osteoporosis and it could be quite severe if you already had a fracture, you would actually need treatment. So there are various classes of treatment. Uh, there are tablets and there are injections. So for example, one type of tablets are called the bisphosphonates. So these are tablets um, that will actually um, increase your bone density a little bit. So they make your bones a little bit thicker. And they also are known then in the long term to also reduce further fractures. So bisphosphonates are usually taken orally. So you take it as a tablet, there's an injectable bisphosphonate. Uh, and that's a very common uh, treatment that people can take. Um, there's other treatments as well. Uh, there's another treatment, which is an injection, uh, which you inject once every six months. So again, these are the sort of things that your doctor can discuss with you. Um, if you really do need treatment, that there are other treatment options uh, mm. available. So Mary is asking, Mary is age 69. So that's within that age, they said like above 60, monopausal hormone therapy is no longer uh, applicable. Mary has Mary did a bone density test 15 years ago. Um, yes, but uh, she said, I think she's done several. Each time the result was osteopenia. Um, is this dangerous? Uh, Mary says she drinks soya milk and yogurt drinks daily, but doesn't exercise regularly. So osteopenia, I think as uh, Dr. Primita has mentioned, uh, you can kind of regard it like pre-osteoporosis. So what you need to do when you're in osteopenia is to like uh, she has been doing, Mary has been doing, is to increase uh, calcium, increase vitamin D, uh, and actually she should exercise. Um, but 
she actually also should monitor her bone density. So presumably at some stage, every two to three years, she's had some bone density measurements, hopefully, and not just one 15 years ago. And we would need to know what the trend is. Is the trend going down or is the trend stabilizing? Because at best, we would hope that with all these measures, we will stabilize the bone loss. And if she doesn't continue to lose bone, then that's fine. She can just continue on conservative management. Dr. Pravita, how frequently should women do these bone screening tests? First of all, you only do it if necessary. And we just mentioned it just now that, um, you know, if you're, a, if you're a healthy woman, you know, with no risk factors, then we do a baseline at 65 and see where you are. And if you're normal, Sometimes I tell women don't need to do for three to five years because they're so normal, you know. But if you're osteopenic, then, um, you know, we like Dr. Yap mentioned, calcium, vitamin D, exercise, then we want to check them again after about two, two years or so because we want to see whether they're maintaining it or they are, you know, it's, there is a further deterioration and we want to catch it at that particular time, all right? So not everyone needs a bone density. Um, and But if a woman is younger, less than 65, and she's of, got higher risk factors, got a lot more risk factors towards osteoporosis, her, her built, um, you know, steroid use, family history and things like that, then we would, you know, get them to do the bone density much earlier. So that's how it would work. Mm, all right. We'll go for another quick break uh, and come back to address a couple more questions. Uh, so you do still have a chance to get your questions in if you have queries about menopause and bone health or osteoporosis. You can WhatsApp them over at 018-789-8899. You can also call us at 03-7733-2900. I'm speaking to consultant obstetrician and gynecologist Dr. Premita Demodaran and consultant rheumatologist Dr. Yap Swan Sim. St uh, stay tuned to Health and Living on BFM 89.9. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Shawik, and my guests, Dr. Premita Demodaran, consultant obstetrician and gynecologist, as well as Dr. Yap Swan Sim, consultant rheumatologist. We're talking about menopause today. It's the second of our three-part series on menopause. Today, we are focusing on osteoporosis and bone health. So get your questions in. You can WhatsApp 018-789-8899 or you can call 03-7733-2900. Here's a question for you, Dr. Yap. Um, Sharon is asking the difference between osteoporosis and osteoarthritis. Yes, that's a very good question. And people often get very confused because they both start with osteo. But osteo just means bone. So osteoporosis, uh, I think as I mentioned before, porosis means thin bone so, or thinning bone. So osteoporosis means thin bone. Osteoarthritis is actually arthritis in your joints. So osteoarthritis, what happens in osteoarthritis is that the cartilage or the in bit of your joint, inside of your joint gets thin and therefore you get pain in your joints. So they're totally different. And of course, uh, osteoarthritis has totally different uh, treatments compared to osteoporosis. Is there any link at all between osteoarthritis and the hormones, Dr. Premita? Yes, definitely. We do know that with menopause, um, that fluid between you know the, the joints actually can decrease. And because of that, women tend to feel more pains at their joints. So definitely there is a link, yes. But osteoarthritis is also very common to many of us who use our joints, certain joints that we use more. 
and then the the fluid there also you know becomes lesser so many i mean many women tend to equate pain in their joints with osteoporosis while osteoporosis is actually very silent till much later and osteoarthritis you know you you feel that inflammation quite early well, Dr. Yeah, with osteoporosis, could it be that you literally, um, you know, don't experience anything until that fateful fracture, perhaps? It's possible because uh, when your bones thin, uh, you may not realize anything uh, until until you break it. Okay, but there are some signs that may suggest that you have uh, osteoporosis. For example, uh, some people can get fractures in their spine or the, that they are not aware of. Uh, when you fracture your spine, because your spine is running up and down your back, you can actually lose height. So if you uh, pass the age of 65 or 70, and you find that when you measure your height, you are less, you are more than two inches shorter than when you were at the age of 30, that could suggest that you may have had some spine fractures that you're not aware of, because some people can just have little spine fractures. So, I mean, that's one sign, you know, I mean, everyone thinks that they shrink as they get older. Um, but if you've lost significant height, that could be one sign of early osteoporosis that you can detect. Mm. We have two questions related to the skin. Um, Elin is asking, um, I've been experiencing hot flushes, um, very oily skin um, like it was during puberty uh, and breaking out in pimples again. At the age of 50, um, should I just write it out or see my GP and get some help with oral medication? Dr. Bramita. Well, well that's the phrase, isn't it? Menopause is a new puberty. It is. It is true because this is a time again like puberty when your hormones are you know, coming on full force here, it is now quietening down. And definitely, I mean, it's not only the skin changes, it could be mostly, many would feel very dry. The skin becomes really dry. Um, uh, you can get even a lot of acne, a lot of pimples, which can be very annoying because you thought that, you know, you're past all this. You can also have changes in the scalp hair and, uh, you know, you can also lose a lot of hair. Well, it depends on whether it is really bothering her or not. If it is bothering her, then yes, go and you know see your skin doctors. Go in, you know, and they can address all that to see what they can do to balance things up on the face, and and then get things organized. Unfortunately, if one goes on hormones, it may not be so great for the skin like acne or the you know the oily skin it doesn't work on it it works but you know it you don't get quick relief from all that uh, but the skin doctors will definitely be able to help you through that but uh, ling wants to know will hormone therapy prolong youthful skin <laughs> okay well we don't actually give it for uh, you know aesthetic purposes uh, that's one thing that we are quite clear about but we can clearly see that women who take hormones, let's say at perimenopause, when the skin quality is changing and we we and they started early, we can definitely see that they maintain that quality of skin. And so that's probably what the youthfulness is all about. Um, but again, a lot of it, I will say, is actually genetics. And I always tell my patients, look at your mom, see how she is. If she is, you know, go has good quality skin, the chances are that you're probably going to have the same, you know, and also depends on a lot of other environmental factor factors, you know, are you working in an icon room 
the whole day? Are you drinking enough water? Are you stressed out? You know, are you working in a smoke-filled environment? So there's no, you know, skin is, you know, a lot of things that can affect skin. Of course, aging is one of it, but we actually need to keep an open mind to the fact that there are lots of other factors that can also play its role. Absolutely. Now we have a guy on the line, um, but he has a question about osteoporosis. Um, good. Whoops. Um, Joe, if you're on the line, uh, can you try and call us back? Uh, I can't seem to get you. Um, but in the meantime, uh, we have Kian who's asking, uh, what is your advice um, for patients who has early onset menopause due to surgery uh, regarding their osteoporosis uh, surveillance and monitoring that risk? Oh, this is a group that we would really like to concentrate on and we would really um, emphasise a um, lot of lifestyle changes and hormone therapy because the normal age of menopause is around 50, but we do accept a range of about 45 to 55. Now, women who have what we call a surgical menopause um, due to various reasons and, you know, they're less than 45 years old, that means they are going from a very nice hormone level, let's say 100%, and overnight, it goes right down to zero. Now, that actually gives the whole body a big shock. So we actually, it, they can actually have what we call accelerated bone loss. So their bone loss can actually be much faster compared to someone else who's going through a very natural menopause, you know, slowly over a period of time. So these women are more subject to fractures and osteoporosis later in life. In fact, up to three to five times more. So we actually emphasize hormone therapy for those who menopause early, either naturally or through surgery. And it's very, very important because bones is only one aspect, but we're also looking at mental health issues, cardiovascular health issues, and a lot of other problems. Mm. Joe, are you on the line? Yes, I am. Hi, what's your question, Joe? All right, my um, question is very simple. See, I'm 47. Uh, I'm very much active in football, all right? Now, uh, currently, there's no uh, signs of, you know, bones, uh, irregularities, or osteoporosis. But however, since that, uh, I've been told that uh, it's a degeneration thingy, right? Bones will thin off. Should I take a step back to reduce the activities, or should I just maintain it? Thanks, Joe. We'll answer your question on air. Dr. Yap, would you like to take that? Yes. So um, exercise, as we said, is actually very good for the bone. So as long as you don't break your bone uh, playing football, uh, we do encourage people to continue exercising and football is uh, weight-bearing, so that's very good. Yes. Is, so don't stop exercising. Is his age a concern for you, 47, or any sort of threshold? Uh, no, no. Any Anyone can exercise, uh, you know. And as you get older, exercise is more important to actually maintain muscle mass as well as bone so that you don't fall. All right. Fantastic. Um, uh, a question here. Can you... Ah, okay. Uh, maybe just very briefly, Dr. Premita, uh, explain hormone therapy in relation to the risk of breast cancer. And I would also refer our listeners to our podcast from last week. We spent almost a whole hour uh, talking about that. But maybe a brief one, Dr. Premita. Okay. So I um I know um hormones have always been associated with breast cancer and that was the biggest care about 20 years ago but I think we've come a long way and we really know a lot more about hormones and 
cancers. Um, and as I said just now, and if you said earlier in the in this segment, the fact that we are now giving hormones to younger menopausal women is a good thing because um, and we are we now know that there are different types of hormones that work differently on breast tissue. So the hormones that we are now giving are what we call the safer hormones. So we have different types of estrogens. We have different types of progestogens. So now with the 20 years that we've had since that huge study, which was the WHI study, which sort of got everyone worried, we have learned that the safer estrogens, the ones that we use these days in younger menopausal women do not increase the risk of breast cancer. Um, the progestogens that we use, there are two types that we use, again, do not increase the risk of breast cancer. So now, again, we are also looking at different aspects. Now, if I am, if I've taken out my uterus and I only need estrogen therapy, that, that estrogen therapy alone actually is safer and it does not increase my risk of breast cancer and the studies with WHI have gone on for now 20 years no increased risk of breast cancer now if I add if I have a uterus and I have to add the second hormone which is that progestogen to protect my uterus again now studies with these hormones have actually shown that the risk might be very small so these women that need to be monitored, very, very small numbers, like two out of thousand may have an increased risk, um, but you don't die of breast cancer. So, and the immense benefits that hormones actually do outweigh all these things. Now, the other thing is that we need to know that breast cancer does not only happen because we take hormones. There are lots of other reasons that we do get breast cancer, which are actually we, you know, the reasons for that that cause breast cancer is so much more important than, you know, what we worry about and hormone and just by taking hormone therapy, our lifestyle, high fatty diet, stress, sedentary life, and all these things actually matter. And in this country, we have found that that 40 to 60 years age group is the, these are the women that are at the highest risk of breast cancer. And, you know, we should be concentrating on looking at their lifestyle changes more than if they do need hormone therapy, we pick and choose the right hormones and they'll be fine. Okay. Um, Ling is asking again uh, for her mom, who's 65 and is experiencing a spur in her spine, also has arthritis um, in the finger joints. Um, Dr. Yap, what can she do for the long term and could this be linked to osteoporosis? So the spurs in the spine actually are more suggestive of something called osteoarthritis, which I think some, another listener has uh, talked about. Um, so that uh, is actually not uh, related to osteoporosis. But certainly at the age of 65, she could be at risk and it would be uh, useful if she could to get her bone density measured. But the spur itself is actually not a sign of osteoporosis, but osteoarthritis. Mm, which then relates to the arthritis in the finger joints that yes. she described as well. Possibly. Um, 
we have uh, a, a similar question related to the again the bone density screening. So perhaps I will use that as a way to wrap up our conversation with a takeaway message for listeners as well in terms of uh, what they should do, um, whether they're facing um, the the phase of menopause or perhaps they're in in it uh, and just concerned about bone health. Um, Berlinda is asking. Uh, Berlinda is age sixty six. Um, occasional knee pain. Walks a lot, 10,000 steps every day, takes in the morning sun. So would she need supplements uh, and bone density scans? And perhaps we can just broaden that with advice um, for all women, um, you know, sort of preparing for menopause. Dr. Yap? Yes, so we do recommend that all women over the age of 65 should uh, try and get their bone density measured um, at that age because they could be at risk for osteoporosis by then. Uh, so for this lady of 66, then certainly we would advise her at least to get a baseline uh, measurement. Um, although she's been out in the sun a lot, uh, it's very hard to tell whether someone has enough vitamin D. So again, a vitamin D level, which is easily available, a 25-hydroxy D level, um, could be done. And then at least you know that you have adequate levels of vitamin D. And Dr. Premita, an overall takeaway on menopause and bone health? Well, I think all women should be aware that bone health is really very important. And, you know, bones do deteriorate with the menopause and we women are more subject to it. Um, the women, you know, um, walk, lifestyle changes are really very important. And one of the things that, you know, I think is very interesting for women to know, and I always talk to women about it and it wake, wakes them up, is the fact that, you know, simple things like, um, you know, we have the OSTA charts and if they look at their weights and their their age and if your if your weight is less than your age then you fall into a slightly higher risk of osteoporosis so when i speak when i say this to my women then their eyes sort of wake up and then say okay now i better look after my bones a little bit more so i think passing this message across that bone health is really important because if you fracture um and our studies in you know not only in malaysia but around the world we actually show that a lot about 20 percent actually die within the first year of a hip fracture and a lot of men and women actually then go on to live with some sort of aid to help them move around and that's depressing and and that's something I think we all want to try and prevent. So the thing that I'm really taking away is that even though we're talking about the risk increasing dramatically at the onset or, or just before the onset of menopause, we're talking about building up peak bone mass way before that. In teenage years with all your exercise and getting out in the sun and eating your calcium and vitamin D rich, well, your calcium rich foods, right? So um, that's certainly a message to remember. And do tune in next Wednesday on the 26th uh, of October. That's the final part of our series on menopause and we'll be talking about vaginal and sexual health relevant again for all women uh, not just uh, those in the menopause period again with uh, Dr. Premita the modern consultant obstetrician and gynecologist she'll be joining me for that one and thank you as well to consultant rheumatologist Dr. Yap Swan Sim for joining us for this discussion today this has been Health and Living on BFM 89.9 you have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.